So let's get into this service this morning. I'm in this series, Thriving in Chaos. My title, my message today is Living Optimistic in Chaos. In 1972, I was married for only four years at that time, living about 18 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, and we're actually where I was born in this little town in Western Pennsylvania. And the name of the game in that little town, well, the name of the game in that whole Western Pennsylvania area is football. You lived and you breathe the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I know I may be offending a lot of people, but, but bear with me as I share this little story with you because it has a purpose. When my son was born, we, you would think that I would, you know, put a Noah's Ark and, and the animated animals and a rainbow above his crib. We, we didn't do that. Don't judge me for this, please. But we put pictures of the Pittsburgh Steeler football team above his crib. He had no clue, but we did. It was almost like the still curtain was watching over our baby boy. But, but it, it was maddening because, you see, the, the, the football was almost a religion. No one strayed away from him. There were no prodigal Steeler fans. It made no difference if they were losing in the last few seconds. They always prayed and wished and hoped and being very optimistic that they would pull it out. Now, why were they, they that way? Why were those, those Steeler fans so optimistic? Well, on December 23rd, 1972, the Steelers were uh, in, in the playoffs against the Oakland Raiders. They had led that whole game from six to nothing until the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, at the very end, with only a minute and 13 seconds left, the quarterback for the Raiders is Kenny Stabler. He ran 30 yards to score a touchdown, and then they kicked that extra point. And now it was the Raiders were leading seven to six, one minute and 13 seconds to go. Well, the, the Steelers, they made it down to the um, uh, Raiders' 40-yard line. And there was then 26 seconds left to play in that game. They, uh, Terry Bradshaw backed up. He threw a pass, and they just they blocked the pass. The, the, I'm sure the Raider fans were going crazy. Now they, they only had uh, something like, I think it was 22 seconds left in the game. Fourth down. They, they had to go for this play. Terry Bradshaw, he backed up, and then he went to the right, and, and he was ready to get tackled, and he just let loose a pass. And all of a sudden, the, block, the pass was blocked in the fans of the Raiders. They were going crazy. They have won the game, but they didn't block it to the ground. They blocked it up in the air, and out of nowhere, there was a first-round pick that year named a guy, he was named Franco Harris. He came out of nowhere. He picked that ball off just before it hit the ground, and he ran uh, that 40 yards to make a touchdown. The fans went out of their minds. You know, I could tell you something that I could watch that, that replay again and again 
and again. In fact, I watched it this this past week as I was preparing this message, and I pulled it out because 40-something years later, I think 46 years later, it is still known as the Immaculate Reception. Just look, Google that, and you would come up to that that catch. And 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 I I would love I love to watch it. I would get chills watching it. And forgive me when I say that I would even have a tear or two coming down out of the side of my eyes as uh, watching that 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 play of that immaculate reception. Well, out of that. The Steeler fans always have this possibility, even if they're losing in the last seconds, that there could possibly be that miracle. Well, I say all that and all that foolishness, if I may say, because sometimes we don't claim to know what we believe in at the very end of the game. And it's our walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and if we if we know if, if we really believe that that we believe that our sins are forgiven and our destiny is assured, and if we truly believe that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and we believe in a certain hope, that blessed hope of His returning and make everything wrong right, then. The despair, the panic over the pandemic, the political chaos, the unrest in our cities, the economic disaster in our country, the steady erosion of the morality of our culture, the majority of our churches closed using only online ministries, sometimes it seems hard to, well, respond any other way but in despair. But wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Where's the joy? I hear people say that, that they miss the fellowship of being together as the body of Christ. In fact, I, I had someone tell me uh, this week that their two boys asked them, Every, these parents, every single day, when are they going to go back to church? I'm going to tell you something. Is Mom and Dad, you're doing a great job in teaching those boys because when these two young children are hungry to get back into church, they have a pretty strong foundation of Christ already being spoken into your life. Well, c- could you imagine me... Um, getting up here uh, in this Sunday morning, and, and, and I start off my sermon as saying, oh, my, all is lost. The devil has won. God has met his match. I tell you, knowing this congregation in the past 20 years, pastoring this church, you would call for the fastest, quickest um, um, annual a business meeting that you could possibly have because you would run me out of town as a heretic. But yet, you know, sometimes what I hear Christians saying, maybe it's, it's in the tone of their voice or it's, it's on, on, the, on the social media things that they're posting is gloom and despair. Not long ago, we, we had a, a, our volunteer Zoom meeting, and we had just 
well, I don't know how many, 40, 50 volunteers come up in that Zoom meeting. And, and the thing that, that I wanted to speak into their lives was the DEC. DEC is the Discipleship, Evangelism, and Connecting. And, and I wanted them to speak these things to everyone they can in such a positive, victorious tone of voice and words that they're choosing, knowing that the work of the Holy Spirit is very active in our lives. But sadly, I think sometimes if some unbelievers would, would read those posts, they would think that all was lost in, in some of our behavior or some of the, the responses that we have. This is not um, to say that this whole political environment, the legal decay, the, the pandemic confusion, the economic challenges, and the loss of the church that we are meeting, no longer meeting in-house yet. All that stuff, I'm sure, is very puzzling and even frustrating because it really is. But it is because it comes a sad day when those who live godless lives are being lifted up as role models these days. We as followers of Christ, I'm sad to say sometimes that we are being mocked in our biblical values or they're literally trying to be criminalized. But listen, church, it's not the end of the story, and it's surely not the end of the game. That today's chaos is not the final score. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God and his overcoming power. I, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the windows of heaven. And, and, and listen to me. This is in Malachi 3, verse 10. It says this, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. He's saying, now test him, try him in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Yes, God wants us to be faithful in our giving, and I cannot express my appreciation and gratitude in your faithfulness in giving. Not only do, do I see how the blessings it is bringing upon the church that we are able to be deployed in ways that we have never dreamt. And I'm telling you, church, is that we as a congregation, the things that we are establishing right now online, we will continue to do even when we relaunch the church because they're so effective in the manners in which we are touching those who can't come or the shut-ins or someone's homesick or whatever reasons and, and even beyond the city limits into the state, this country, and the world that this message is going out. This pandemic has not Stop the gospel of Jesus Christ of going forth. If anything, it has dispersed it in greater ways. 
But it's not only in just that giving. It is in that obedience that God also opens those windows of heaven. And, and I want you to take note. He didn't say the window of heaven. He said the windows of heaven. Now, I'm sure that Daniel wasn't pleased to see his homeland ransacked and the Babylonians' victories over it all. And his life of his family and his friends all turned upside down. He has plenty to be legitimately distressed about, as we do. But he also had God's promises, as we do. He chose to interpret his circumstances by looking out the windows of faith. Can I say that? Because when the windows of heaven are open, it's a windows of faith, if I could call it. Daniel experienced firsthand the chaos of what Nebuchadnezzar brought in his life. And as we are experiencing firsthand the chaos of this culture, what it is bringing in our lives, but... But his trust in God's ultimate goodness and the power was in his power stronger and deeper than the sorrows or even the confusion in which he was going through. And I want to tell you, my friend, God is much bigger than all this chaos that we are hearing around us. And there is victory in the camp of God's children as we look through the windows of heaven to actually see that windows of faith, our key is seeing that God is able to uh, break loose in multiple ways in the midst of it all. It's the only way to make sense out of this senseless. It's the only way to respond properly when our obedience sometimes seems it's not working. When is this ever going to end? You see, it's actually the same window of faith that many great heroes of the faith, they walked in even in that momentary challenges of their lives. Have you ever considered Abraham? And how confusing and difficult it must have been as he was stumbling up that mountainside to, well, offer his son as a sacrifice unto God. The, the, the entire, well, incident is mind-boggling to me. And to be honest, it's rather troubling. God had clearly commanded Abraham to do the unthinkable the irrational, and the indefensible. He was to take his son up that mountain and slay him on the altar of sacrifice. <sighs> but truthfully, there is no way that Abraham can reconcile God's promises with his current reality. This just can't be happening. But you need to hear this, church, because this is vitally important for you. And this is going to show right beside me here, is in our walk of obedience, God will never contradict his own word. Let me say that again. Read that along with me as you see this on your TV or your, or your computer screen. 
in our walk of obedience, God will never contradict his own word. I find it intriguing when, when you read in Genesis 22, verse 5, it says this. And he said to his servant, now this is Abraham. He, he went to the bottom of that mountain. He's going to take his son up to the top of that mountain. He's going to build this sacrifice. And this is what he said. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham had total trust in God, in his walk in obedience. And, and what is important is the follow-through of Abraham. Obedience is not a halfway walk. It's a complete journey in trusting in God's Word and his direction in our lives. I truly believe that there was no way that Abraham would have sacrificed his son because it would have been contrary to every biblical truth that he knew. But he trusted God in the deliverance. For it is truly that window of faith of which he was operating in. For in our obedience, he will open not one, not one window, but he says multiple. The windows of heaven will open up upon us. So here's the question I have for you. Who are you going to believe? Now, I know that we're not deaf towards the, all the voices that are bombarding us these days from the airways and the media and everything else. And all this chaos is telling us that we are in trouble. But, but here's what's interesting. They're, they're telling us that, well, they may have the answers or the group of people may have the answers. But there's really no one person who has all the answers except for God. But, Here's what I want you to understand is that there's only one voice that I need to listen to, and that is God's voice through his word. Do you know, when I read the Bible, if I want to hear God, because I've never heard God audibly. Some people have, and I believe that they have. I haven't. But when I read the Bible out loud, I hear God's voice. God speaks through his word. In Matthew 16, 18, in the English Standard Version, it says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus promised that we will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe that most Christians are very familiar with this verse. In fact, I think many could really quote it if they're prompted just a little bit. But here, I also believe that many may not understand it as it was being spoken of in that time of Christ. We have a picture of a fierce opponent on the attack, and, and we are hunkered down, protected by Jesus. And we envision 
surviving that onslaught of, of Satan's attack because the gates of hell shall not prevail, that, that onslaught upon us is like we were hiding in an a underground storage chamber during a tornado, and we come out of that ground after the tornado and see the massive um, destruction all about us. But unfortunately, being unfamiliar with that is that we lose its content. The, they weren't a, uh, no, the gates weren't an offensive weapon. They serve as a defensive purpose. They kept the enemy out. And you see, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? The church. They are looking at the church as the enemy. And listen, this is so very powerful. The idea that the Christians hunkered down while Satan batters us with the gates of hell would have been ludicrous in the people of Jesus' day. They knew what the gates were for. They were to protect the enemy of coming in and that it was not the offense. It is not that the gates of hell shall not prevail because, you see, it is trying to prevent the move of God in the chaos of that time. One leads to cowering defense, hold on for dear life approach of life. The other leads to an optimistic look that we are on the move. God's people, I want you to know that God's church is active and it's alive. Listen to this. In Romans 8, verses 35 through 31 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, pandemics or sword? As it is written, you, for your sake we are killed all day long and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter yet. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. I want you to know, body of Christ, God is in the midst of this chaos, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are on the move. God's word tells us that we, sh who shall separate us from the love of God? Nobody, nothing. He goes on and says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, nor things to come. Hmm. Neither heights or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ our Lord. See, no spiritual foe can come against us. Neither can any circumstance of impossibilities could separate us from the love of God. Verses 35 and 36, self-tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and, um, um, peril or sword, as it is written. God's word is yea and amen.
and it may feel that we are like um, sheep being led to slaughter for your sake. We are killed all day long. It's not comfortable. But when chaos of this world's mess and trouble tries to put pressure upon us, I remember that his word says that we are more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's why I could stay optimistic. That's why I could believe that his, his word is sure. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and that love has never changed. There is no situation or circumstance that is bigger than that relationship that we're able to have with our Lord and Savior. And let me wrap this up in saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the final score that I look at. That's why I'm optimistic. He's promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. God has a purpose and plan for our lives.